Welcome to Focused on Christ, where we are passionate about exalting Christ and equipping the church. I'm your host, Mike Crump, here with Pastor Nathan Smith. And Nathan, I've got a strange question for you. Have you ever met anyone famous before? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Who is it? Mike Crump. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Every single week, I feel in awe (laughs) of the presence. We've already had this discussion. You need to simmer down a little okay. bit. Okay. Okay. All right. I did this one. I, I, I was in Kenya. I had taken my family to Kenya for the first time. Mm-hmm. And there's a place where you can, um, it's in a, in, like near to a game reserve. Yeah. And you can go right up and feed giraffe. Yeah. Um, it's like a petting zoo, except it's in the wild. Okay. So and you pet the lions and things like that. Well, not that. Not that. You may not come back. <laughs> but we were standing there and there was this guy and he had several people around him. And I'm like, man, he looks familiar. Mm-hmm. And it was Chris Rock. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I don't endorse him as a, <laughs> in any level of godliness in anything. He's a pretty foul comedian, yeah. but he was there with his handlers in yeah. Kenya going on safari. Did you say hi? Um, so it was funny. It was actually my wife who recognized him, mm-hmm. really. And uh, my wife got a picture with him, and he was very friendly yeah. and very kind. Yeah. So th- I think that was probably, in the secular world, a celebrity that I met. Okay. In the Christian world, I've had I've, I've had the privilege being able to interact with several well-known um, Christians, which has been a joy. Mm. Um, I've been able to meet John MacArthur several times and sat in his office and talked with him. That's and, that, cool. and that was great to hear his heart. Yeah, um, He can be a little bit of a firebrand sometimes in the public <laughs> sphere, but one-on-one, what a pastoral heart. Yeah, yeah, um, Alistair Begg, really, really sweet guy. Yeah. Um, again, very pastoral, very mm-hmm. warm. Yeah. Um, so just thankful to be able to interact with some of those guys. That's really awesome. What is it about celebrities that cause us to be weird sometimes? I mean, I'm not saying you're weird. Well, maybe you are a little bit, but uh, that's a different issue. Uh, what is it wow. about that concept of celebrity itself that just causes so much... Well, I, I, I think I think we're wired as human beings to draw near to greatness. Mm. I'm not saying celebrities are in and of themselves great, yeah. but we the want, image that's given by them exactly. Yeah. There, there, there's something that they have, either recognition or power mm-hmm. or some sort of bestowed mm-hmm. greatness by the culture. And I think that we as human beings want a piece of that. Want want to want to know the person who's been yeah. deemed whatever, yeah. uh, you know, worthy of that honor or attention. Yeah. And and I think that. And if I can turn this uh, spiritual right away, yeah, yeah, I do believe that because in our core we are designed to want to draw near to the greatness of yeah. God, and celebrity and 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 the idol worship that comes with it mm-hmm. is basically our fallenness being drawn away to faux um, images of greatness. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was I was thinking the same thing that it's it's almost like a, a perversion of that desire and hunger for the Almighty. I think so. Um, Have you met anybody famous? Um, I, I have. Um, I've, I've met working in Christian radio. I met several, you know, personalities, personalities and bands and stuff like that, um, which was always fun. Um, I did. This was before they were famous, but I actually had Rhett and Link on my radio show that I was hosting at the time, <laughs> and um, and it was a really fun time with them. A very just tragic. They're you know, walking away yeah, from the faith, yeah, but. Yeah. Uh, but that's probably the most famous people that I know, and that was even before they were famous. So, um, but so, yeah. Sometimes it's interesting when you meet famous people, well, specifically saying the Christian realm, you meet some and you're like, oh, you're not as nice in person as you seem in public. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes, that <laughs> there, can be the case. There are those times. But then there are other times you meet them and you're like, wow, you're even sweeter in person mm. than, than I've met yeah. in public. Specifically, um, and I've recommended this book several times, Michael Reeves yeah. um, wrote Delighting in the Trinity, mm-hmm. uh, president of Union College in England. 
um, just when, when I met him, I was like, who is, is he? Is he the same? Does he speak with the same warmth and pastoral mm-hmm. care that he does in his books? Yeah. And when I met him, we had tea together, which is ironic since he's English. Um, <laughs> but we sat there, and man, he was the sweetest, mm. most gentlemanly, kind, just kind of uh, oozing that warmth of yeah. godliness. Yeah. Uh, and I really just enjoy was blessed by his by time with him. And that's always encouraging the people that you maybe elevate, not in a wrong way, but in a way of saying, "Hey, admire. This is, you yeah, admire. you admire." That's yes. the right. That's the better word. Um, so that's good. So today we we're not going to continue to talk about celebrities, um, <laughs> but we are going to be talking about the presence of God. That there is a hunger and a thirst, especially for those who are in Christ, that we long to be in the presence of God because we love Him, we love Christ, and we long for that. And I, I feel that in my bones, uh, that groaning that we see in Romans eight is very real. Um, but we have a picture in the Old Testament now uh, as we. Look at our prayer and meditation passage for this week in Exodus 33 and 34. A very interesting passage that really connects to the seriousness of God's presence and that he is dwelling with his people. So, Nathan, what's going on in the context of this section of Scripture? This is one of those moments in Scripture that is an incredible tragedy and really an affront to God that is almost unimaginable yeah. because God has delivered his people out of Egypt through miraculous wonders. I mean, the world looked on and said, there's no God like this Yahweh. Mm. Even the Egyptians feared Yahweh. Yeah. God brings them to Sinai. God shows himself in his glory and majesty, reveals himself, gives them the law, the presence, the covenant by which they could approach his presence. And while Moses is up there talking to God, yeah. The people decide, you know what? We're just going to make our own gods, mm. fashion our own gods, and they worship the golden calves. Mm. So the, the the speed at which they turn away from Yahweh yeah. is just numbing yeah. um, in terms of how quickly the heart is led astray. Yeah. Of course, there's a lesson in there for us how quickly we are drawn astray from God. Oh, yes. But what we find ourselves in 33 and 34 of the book of Exodus is that tragedies just happened, and now God is going to react to mm. their disobedience. And it's a really interesting reaction. You know, he does, there is a plague that comes upon the people, and God's purifying those who have rebelled. And mm-hmm. But then God says something that it, it, it's, it's heavier, even though the, I guess the effects aren't like people dying mm-hmm. immediately. But in Exodus 33, uh, verses 1 through 3, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, and all those peoples. He says, Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among Mm -hmm. you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So we have God who says, All right, I'm going to fulfill my promise. You're going to go, you're going to conquer the people, you're going to enjoy the, the, the land flowing with milk and honey, but I am not yeah. going to be with you on this journey. What is so bad about that? I mean, from a purely just you know human perspective, it's like, well, we're still getting all the things that God said he would do, but we're just not getting his presence. Why is that such a serious thing? Well, in the immediate context, the effect is that there was no salvation and deliverance except for the presence of God. Mm. Uh, Israel had no army. Israel was not a trained people, a civilization established with weapons of warfare and structure and kingship. They, yeah. they, they were they, they were a nomadic group at this point with nothing. They had no defenses, no cities. 
the only way that they escaped the greatest power of their day, Egypt, mm. was because God was with them. Yeah. And God literally, not, not metaphorically, but literally fought the battles on Israel's behalf, mm. leading them through the Red Sea, leading them out of Egypt. And, and now they're about to go into the promised land with cities that have high walls and structured armies and structured kingships. Um, th- from a human standpoint, there is no possible way that the Israelites can possibly win. Mm. So the absence of God is almost a guarantee of defeat. Mm. And the Israelites know that. And it just goes continuing on that they then at that point they start mourning and they they start really just what's going to go on here. And I can imagine just the fear Mm -hmm. that has now struck them that what they have experienced with God's nearness is now about to be removed from them. Um, and I do think that that's important. Um, I think that the answer that I gave, um, the, the, the removal of the presence of God has tremendous theological and spiritual effects. Yeah. You know, the, the loss of joy, the loss of the nearness of God and all that means. At this stage in the Israelites, I don't know if they apprehended all of those finer blessings of the presence of God. Mm. Probably the effect because of their raw immaturity was just that, uh-oh, if he's not with us, we're, we're going to die. Yeah. It was it was probably literally yeah. that visceral yeah. in their minds. The absence of God meant death. Now, that has tremendous theological imaging for us mm. because what God is saying is, if I leave you to yourselves, you will die. Yeah. He's saying, I'm going to give you the promised land, but not really, because absent of God, they can't take it. Mm-hmm. Absent of God, they will not survive. Yeah. There will be people that will just destroy them. Yeah. And Moses, petitioning the Lord, he basically says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us from here. So he, he's saying, God, please don't send us away. Yeah. Um, and he continues, says, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct and I found that to be just fascinating. He's saying, it is your presence with us that separates us, that makes us unique to the nations because the God, very God, Yahweh, is with them. Um, and I just thought that was a beautiful reality that they are distinct. Now, mm. we see this in the New Testament. And even to what you were saying a moment ago, that apart from God, they can do nothing, that reminds me so much of what Jesus said, that you abide in me, I abide in you, apart from me, you can do Nothing. Yeah. So we see a very similar reality in the New Testament, and and, and it's also important. If I could turn to First Peter chapter one, uh, verse twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see. Pull it up actually, so I can quote it directly. First uh, Peter chapter one, verse twelve. Uh, Peter is writing about the prophets of old and mm-hmm. what they prophesied and what they spoke of. So that would include Moses. That would include the prophets of the Old Testament. Yeah. And it says it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. Mm. So he's speaking to the church later on. Yeah. That the events and the prophecies that took place in the Old Testament were serving a greater purpose than even their immediate historical context. Mm. Now, with that in mind, we'd go back to Exodus 33 in this event. So there is a real political, geopolitical situation going on here. Yeah. The death of the people without the presence of God. They will literally be extinguished geopolitically. But that is also serving to image a much greater reality that Mm. we see in the New Testament, that if God does not stand on your side, you will die. Like you have no hope apart from him. The only hope is the presence of God. 
And that is, and then you take it one step further, the fact that Moses is interceding for the people of Israel, Mm -hmm. that now you have God and the people separated. And without God, the people will die. Mm. So what has to happen? An intercessor, Moses, steps in between the people and God to plead on the people's behalf. Mm. Now, again, this should hopefully, if you know your Bible, should be ringing all types of imagery that is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Yes, who stands as our intercessor and provides that way. And um, yeah, in the book of Hebrews, that, 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 the, that yeah, that's, I that's mean, immediately the, where my mind went. In the book of Hebrews, that's exactly what we see. He's the great high priest. He's the intercessor. He's the qualified one who can stand on our behalf. So let's take this from that reality, which mm-hmm. is true and right, and let's consider because the presence of God is spoken of in our modern context in many different ways, mm-hmm. um, how should we best understand the presence of God today? Because mm-hmm. oftentimes people will go to a worship service or whatnot, and they come out and they go, man, I really felt the presence of God there. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a legitimate way to consider the presence of God, or do we need to think through that a little bit more clearly? Um, I'm going to put on my teacher hat for just a moment. Please do. There's the cosmological presence of God, mm-hmm. and that means the presence of God everywhere, mm-hmm. as Jesus Christ himself literally holds together all of creation. Yep. So the presence of God, in a sense, can be experienced um, in the broadest of senses by looking at a sunrise and saying, how does that happen? Yeah. You're experiencing the presence of God's order and his creative, all-powerful being by the fact that the solar system doesn't devolve into chaos. Yeah. So the cosmological presence of God. Then there's the presence of God in his holiness that, um, that this world order and all of the people of the world stand under the presence of God as judge. Mm. So there's a sense in which every human being sees God with a sense of fear, yeah. and, and, and they rightfully should because yeah. he stands as judge. He stands as the one who is going to bring judgment and wrath and, and, and anger against sin and unholiness. And then there's the presence of God among the redeemed. Mm. These were the ones who stood under him as judge, but because of the grace of God, he has drawn them in. They have been saved. And now the redeemed stand under the presence of God, not as judge, but as father mm. and as friend yeah. and as savior and as lover, as it were, of the church. So that there's different presences, if you will, yeah. experienced in different realms. Yeah. When someone says they go to church and they really felt the presence of God, often what they are describing is the manifest, the revelation of who God is as a result of truth mm. through proclamation or truth uh, in concert with an emotive experience that brings them closer to the knowledge of God. Yeah. Now, there's bad emotive experiences, but there can be good emotive experiences yeah, sure. where you're singing and you hear holy, 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 and you're brought to a sense of the holiness mm. of God that is experienced in the community of God's people. Yeah. But it should be noted, there is a special presence of God that is felt in the church like no other place. That's very true, very true. It's one of my... As we've talked before, it is really a precious place, uh, the church. Yes. Um, For those who may be wondering, can you be in the presence of God and still not feel it? I know with conversations with people, sometimes it's just like, man, I'm spending time in his word. I'm spending time in prayer, but I just don't feel the presence of God. What would you say to the person who's in that that spot? Well, diagnostically, you'd ask a couple of questions, and, and... 
I think that pastorally I would probably enter into this uh, more gently, but for the sake of time, yeah. I'll just be yeah. blunt. The diagnostic questions would be some things like, all right, are there any, is there any sin in your life? Mm-hmm. I mean, sin can actually veil us mm-hmm. from the presence of God. Yeah. And I'm talking about unconfessed, ongoing sin, not yeah. the fact that you're a sinner. Yeah. We all struggle with it. So is there sin? Um, is there, are there any other griefs in your life that, that are kind of just weighing you down, uh, weighing you yeah. down? And uh, is there is there an isolation from the community? Mm. So you're not being able to to be challenged and encouraged and be prayed or over. Yeah. Um, physically, uh, are there things that are weighing you down in terms of maybe it could be diet? Maybe it could be an illness that, that are just detracting your emotional ability to be able to enjoy. Yeah. Um, the presence of God. Because when we say, I don't feel the presence of God, mm-hmm. often what we're saying is, I don't feel the positive aspects associated with it. Yes. Because you can feel the presence of God in that, today stinks, but I do feel that the Lord is with me. Am yeah. I smiling? No, but I know he's here. There's a sense of knowing the presence of God even in the midst of tragedy. Yeah. There's, and, and I, I ask these questions because I think this is something that... Um, and, and this kind of goes back to our previous conversation where we talked about church trends and culture and things mm-hmm. of that nature, is that sometimes the emotive response is chased after more than God himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, I'm going to, there's a old Christian rock song that, uh, and I have a, <laughs> I can't remember the name of it right now, it? but I'm not going to sing it, but one of the lines is, the youth camp junkies can't get enough to make the buzz last. Yeah, that's a great line. And, and I remember growing oh. up in church where yeah. you had people who throughout the year, they were not seeking the Lord, but man, they would be there at every camp and every event. Looking for the spiritual buzz. Because they wanted that spiritual buzz. And I think sometimes, and maybe those who've walked through that as a culture um, and growing up, maybe you're longing for that. And it's almost like seeking that which God gives rather than seeking God himself. So there's yeah. a little bit of a distinction there yeah. and just being mindful of that as we pursue the Lord. Yeah, I think I think that sometimes we associate emotions with authenticity and it's not authentic or real until I feel it. Yeah. And that would be the shift from modernity into post-modernity. Modernity put the emphasis that you can't know it unless you can understand it. Mm. And so the church put all of its eggs in basket into rational thinking, yeah. leading to liberalism and if we can't explain the if we can't explain the virgin birth, the trinity, it must not be real. Yeah. Extreme yeah. manifestation of rational thinking. We move on into another stage of our culture into really post-modernity where the emphasis is is on self-expression and emotional being. And so the church reflects that. And Mm. now we we, we don't feel like it's authentic. Ah, don't give me a lesson. Don't teach truth to me. Make me feel. Because if I can feel, then it's real. I know it's real. Exactly. What does scripture say? Actually, both are true, right? I mean, we're meant to to engage emotionally. But we're also to engage emotionally under the cognitive structures yeah. through Scripture. Yes. And it, it is those two things that we enter in as a whole person mm-hmm. before God. Yeah. And I love that in those moments where the Lord seems silent, um, just going to the Scriptures and being reminded of it. I think of Hebrews 10, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We can enter into his presence, whether we are feeling it or not, we can enter in with assurance Yes, because Christ has accomplished what he said he would do, and now we are his. 
And uh, it's just something we constantly have to remind. It's preaching yourself, preaching the gospel to yourself every day. Absolutely. And most of the Christian life is lived out in endurance and telling our emotions what to feel, yeah. not letting our emotions tell us what to do. Mm. Um, people will say, oh, yeah, but what about the Psalms? Why don't we have ecstatic emotional joy like the Psalms? Yeah. And my response is, have you read the Psalms? <laughs> uh, because the Psalms are re- are rarely like this ecstatic emotional joy. It's actually the psalmist saying, uh, I've been betrayed by my friend. Yep. The enemies are seeking to destroy me. And even where are you, God? Where are you, God? Like yeah. it's often the Psalms are expressed actually in terms of what he's feeling. Yeah. And then he moves into, but I'm going to choose to... Yeah. Be joyful to express my yeah. my confidence in God despite these circumstances. Yeah. So it's very important that our emotions and our being and our experience of the presence of God are governed by the truths of the Word of God. Amen. Amen. I think we will end there. Thank you, Nathan, so much. And thanks for our listeners for joining us for another episode here focused on Christ. We pray that this program is a source of great encouragement to you no matter where you are in your walk with Christ. Hope you'll join us next week when we get to talk about hypocrites. That'll be fun. All right. I can't wait, actually. Are you going to give us some first-hand testimony? I will actually give some first-hand testimony (laughs) because I was a grade A hypocrite for a while. (laughs) If you ever have questions about something we say here, feel free to share them with us. Or if you have uh, questions about anything, theological or whatnot, just email us at questions at focusedonchrist.com. 